Well, are you familiar with the uh, sitcom Modern Family? Yeah, some are. Uh, Jay is married to his second wife, Gloria, and they have a, a young son, Joe, and then they also have a son from Gloria's first marriage. Uh, Jay's daughter, um, I've written her name on Claire, because I keep forgetting Claire. Claire is married to Phil, and they have three children who have got various dysfunctions, uh, but they are uh, a family unit. And then the, the third family unit related to Jay is his son um, Mitchell and his husband Cameron. Uh, yes, they are a gay couple and they have an adopted daughter. So we've got three different kind of families. The first one is like the step family, second one is like the nuclear family and the third one is the same-sex family. Now I want to ask you why is this called modern family when it really should be called postmodern family? You know, that's the whole deal, isn't it, about being uh, in, the, in the context that we're in. We are living in a post-Christian world as well as a post-modern world. That's the focus that we're um, looking at. So where do we go to to get our teaching about family and family relationships? I would suggest that we don't use modern family as the source. So Jimmy just read to us from um, Colossians chapter 3 about what um, Paul has to say to the church in, in uh, Colossae about uh, Christian families. And as we uh, think about that, we just need to give the underpinning of what Paul says here. Remember that, that Christian faith is practical, that Christian faith works out in our daily life. The, uh, the centre of this letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians is uh, Colossians 2 verse 6. Anyone remember that? You've got your Bible open? Colossians 2 verse 6. You can cheat. <laughs> as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Okay? So Christian faith, is it's transformational. Our life, uh, we, we saw last week, comes from above. Since we've been raised with Christ, fix our eyes on Christ um, in the heavenly places. That's at the beginning of chapter 3. And then last week we saw how that works itself out. And I want to say to you that there is no real Christian life outside of Christ. That's what, what Paul is saying uh, in the first part of this letter, that everything centres around our relationship with Christ and who Jesus is and, and how we relate to him. So, what does the Christian life look like? What should the Colossians be expecting in their own Christian life? Should they be kind of, you know, wandering out around the place with everything sorted out and, you know, being able to do the occasional miracle when it's needed or, you know, say the right um, advice or, 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 or spiritual kind of insight? Well, all those things we, we would like, wouldn't we, to be the, the centre of Christian life, but... In, but actually, the centre of Christian life is, is, is pretty kind of plain. It is living out what Jesus Christ has done for us. And last week we saw that means putting off or putting to death our old sinful nature and putting on and clothing ourselves in things like compassion, kindness, meekness, patience, humility, forgiveness, love. 
all those things Paul encouraged the, the Colossian church to do. And that is the strength of our Christian faith. That is what uh, we should do, what we should be living like as a Christian. It is so practical that Paul comes even to the Christian family and uh, gives advice for relationships, for, for Christian relationships within the family. And um, these instructions that, that Paul gives to the, to the kind of household, that there were uh, lists of, of instructions for family life that have been uh, uncovered by uh, archaeologists and, and ancient historians who can tell us that different cultures you know, had different, different sets of uh, household codes. Uh, in the time of the Colossians, the kind of Greco-Roman family, uh, it, it fell far short of what Paul writes to the, uh, the Christians in um, living in that Roman culture. So Paul gives instructions to the Colossian Christians about how to live within their family and how to relate to one another as Christians. So to understand this, we need to think of, of what you know, was happening in the culture. So the typical kind of um, house in um, Roman culture in Paul's day was fairly self-contained. It was a kind of you know, cube with the garden and, and um, open space in the middle and then there was a front door that you could shut off so the house could be shut off to, to everyone but through that front door that was the only way in or out everything that came in or out of the house had to go through that front door and usually at that front section of the house there was uh, some public space like if you received a, a, a visitor or, or whatever they would come into that public space um, the master of the house might have some business dealings you know might uh, need to talk to someone they would talk in that space uh, there may have been you know some some trading or whatever it could you could even have a shop front um, but but that's the public area and the rest of the family particularly the women and children they don't go to that space unless they are asked to by the uh, master of the house and in fact the master of the house runs everything and determines everything that happens and um, you cannot go out of the house without the master of the house is uh, okay. So when Paul writes into that context, he is not trying to change the culture. He is actually trying to show how Christians can live in that culture. So the aim of Christianity is not to change culture or, or that but you know, that may actually happen over time. But the aim of Christianity is to live as a Christian in the culture that you're in. And Christi Christians can live in any culture. So what does Paul say? He begins, uh, as uh, many of the codes do in that time, with instructions to, uh, to wives and then to husbands. And, and Paul writes, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Uh, we've just recently done a series on the relationships between men and women, so I'm not going to go into that in great detail now, but I want to say to you that this is um, fairly different to what was happening in, in the Roman culture, although there are points of, of similarity as well. But notice that the wife is to submit herself to her husband, 
uh, that is typical of the time. But he adds, as is fitting in the Lord. Okay, so her, her highest calling is to obey God and to live a godly life. And then after, uh, you know, in that context, she submits to her husband. The instruction that Paul gives to the husband, um, we might feel is fairly plain and simple. Husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. But in the first century, uh, that was not the case. In fact, in all of these uh, family codes that they have discovered, there is nowhere where it says the husband must love his wife. In fact, even the word that is used for love. So you might think the husband should love his wife in that kind of romantic, you know, kind of uh, physical way. The word that is used here is the word for uh, a commitment, a, a self-sacrificing commitment to the good of the other person. So this is a kind of radical change, uh, radical difference to what is happening in that society. But the husband can live out this kind of love even in the context of um, the Roman culture around him. So the relationship between the husband and wife is, is given fairly, you know, just one sentence. Um, the relationship between parents and children is there as well. Note this carefully, children. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. And um, parents, and particularly fathers, do not embitter your children don't provoke them or they'll become discouraged again just two sentences great wisdom here isn't there there is great wisdom here for both parents and children uh, to meditate on and we could have a whole you know session just thinking about how those two um, responsibilities in relationship work out but let's just note there particularly um, to, to parents or those who are, are, you know, will, will be parents somewhere down the track, it is possible for parents to do great good or great harm. And it's a challenge, isn't it? If you uh, have been provoked or embittered as a, as a child, then you'll probably become an embittered adult and then you'll probably bring that into your family when it happens and that will carry on Paul says let's break that chain parents don't just treat your your children as, as chattels and in the first century children had no rights the the wife had very few rights her, her main responsibility was providing heirs you know sons for a husband and the children well you know the father had total control over children so this is a radical difference, isn't it? In the context of, of what would fit in the first century, it is, a, it is radically different. But then Paul goes on to talk about the relationship between slaves and masters. And, um, you know, in the first century, if you didn't have a slave, you were, you were a poor person. If you didn't have a household servant, you were a poor person. So most... Most of the Roman Empire was run by, by slaves or, or by servants, by bond servants. And uh, in that context, there are instructions here. Now, it's really interesting, isn't it? Husbands and wives, one sentence each. Children and parents, one sentence each. Slaves, 
like five whole verses full of slaves, <laughs> instructions to, to slaves and to masters. Why uh, would, would Paul do that? Why would he spend so much time on this relationship between slaves and masters? When if you look at Ephesians chapter 5, which has got a similar kind of household code, it mentions the relationships between husbands and wives and it really kind of expands that uh, section. And then the section on slaves and masters is only a smaller section. So here, more than half of his effort is given to, to the relationship between masters and slaves. In Ephesians, it's, it's about 20, 25% of the, you know, of the uh, space is given to that relationship. Why? Why? He says to slaves, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if you're working for the Lord and not for, for human masters. That's the kind of um, basic summary in verse 23 there. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though working for the Lord and not for human masters. You see, when we understand that this letter uh, is written by Paul to this church in Colossae, and the person that, who is taking the letter to Colossae is a guy named Tychicus. You can see this in chapter 4. And he has another letter with him. And th that letter Paul wrote to a guy named um, Philemon, who uh, also lives in Colossae. And you can read that letter because it's actually made its way into the scriptures as well, uh, the letter to Philemon. And it's all about a, a runaway slave. The slave's name is An Onesimus. And um, we don't know the, all the details, but he actually stole from Philemon and, you know, hiked it out of there and ran away. And Paul has probably met him in, in Rome, which is a long, long way away from Colossae. But in God's providence, Onesimus becomes a Christian. And the Apostle Paul has had something to do with that. And Paul knows his circumstance and he says to Onesimus, you need to go back to Philemon. Because you've actually done the wrong thing. Now, what would, what would it mean for a runaway slave to return home? Could mean death. It could mean death. If Philemon was to stick to uh, the Roman law, he had every right to put uh, his runaway slave to death, particularly if he's stolen your goods. But what's happened is Philemon has become a Christian and Onesimus has become a Christian. So you've got a Christian master and a Christian slave. Um, how is Philemon going to behave? How's Onesimus going to behave? Well, well, Paul kind of fills that out, but but everybody else in the congregation is involved in relationships as, as you know, masters and, and slaves. So it's there for everybody. And he says, um, because this is an agenda item for the church in Colossae, he says quite specifically how slaves are to respond and how masters are to respond. And what he says is for the slaves that they are to work for their master as if they were working for Jesus Christ himself. So they weren't just to do a good job when their master was around watching. They are to do a good job always because it's their attitude, their heart attitude that has changed. Because of faith in Christ, a slave can now serve 
um, his or her master in a way that is pleasing to Christ, in a way that recognises that your circumstances are not what define you, it's your relationship with God. So live out that relationship with God as a slave and the essence of that is to work with all your heart as if you're working for the Lord and not for human masters. Then the master, uh, you know, the, the owner of the, the slave is told that you must treat your slaves with justice and fairness because you too have a master in heaven. You too have someone over you. And Paul isn't kind of waving the stick. I think he's saying that your master in heaven is the Lord Jesus who has given himself for you and, and done all that's necessary to save us and to bring us into eternal life. So masters have that attitude to your slaves that you're going to do well, good for them, that you're going to treat them justly and fairly and, and look out for their interests, even though they're a slave. Because you yourself are in fact a slave to Christ. So that's the background of, of, of these um, words here, these instructions. We don't live in a context, I don't know if anyone's got a household slave. No one, no one has a little, little, dobby, little dobby kind of, you know, elf sitting there. No. Um, so we may not have a household slave but we can learn these principles because all of us are in relationships where um, the responsibility and authority is, is unequal. Okay, so um, if you're in a position, a relationship where you have more authority than somebody else in that relationship then the things that are said to masters in principle relate to you. If you're in a relationship where you are um, weaker and you have someone who has authority over you, then the principles of how the workers, the slaves behave is uh, relevant to you. And some of us are in both, probably most of us are in both of those kind of relationships. Okay, are you in a relationship where you have authority? Um, maybe... Uh, it's at work. Maybe you have someone who is under you at work. You have the opportunity at work to do what the rest of our society does, to use people, particularly those responsible to you, so that you can get on. That's what our society says, doesn't it? You know, it's all right to do that. You see it on TV shows all the time, where people, you know, work their way to the top. And... Um, why shouldn't you? Because you've got to do what you've got to do. You have to improve your position. And then those under you, well, they'll have to learn how they can promote themselves as well. What does Paul say? No, if you are in a position of authority, then don't use those under you to do you know, your dirty work or to get your way or to make yourself look better. No. You have every opportunity to, to bless the person who is working for you, who is under you. And that's what you should do. Treat them with justice and with fairness. 
just like the uh, New Testament masters because we all have someone who is over us in heaven and that is Jesus Christ who has given his life to serve us and to bless us. So that's if you're in the position of authority. What about if you're in a position where you don't have authority, in fact, where someone else has authority over you? Again, this could be a work situation. It could be a relationship um, in the family. It, it could even be, you know, someone who is, is, a, is a coach of yours or uh, even a university lecturer or someone like that where, you know, where you're in, in the position where you need to, to do what you're told to do because that's the kind of relationship that it is. How are you to, to work that through? Again, are you, like in our culture, uh, being told to protect yourself, to look after yourself? Don't let anyone boss you around. Don't give yourself, uh, you know, don't be weak. Don't let others uh, tell you what to do. All of those messages that come to us is that, how we're to, is that the attitude we're to have as Christians when we're in a position of weakness, that we should be always trying to work out how to get out of that position so that we can actually be on equal pegging or maybe even higher? That's not the first thing that comes to our mind as a Christian. The first thing that comes to our mind as a Christian is that first and foremost, we are servants of Jesus Christ. And if we see that person over us as we would see Jesus then we will have a changed heart. Just like those slaves, we will do the right thing. Not only when we're being watched, but we will do the right thing always because our heart has been changed and we're, we are not in competition with those who are over us. We actually are wanting to serve those who are over us so that they may be, be blessed. So... Um, Work, work as if you're working for the Lord and bring honour uh, to those who are over you in that way. So let's bring this together then. As a Christian, the first thing that we need to do is to get our relationship with, with Christ in the right perspective and, and see, as Paul says, uh, set your minds on things above. Fix your hearts on things above. Make it your focus to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. And then as you look at the, the, the world around you in terms of our relationship with each other, it is uh, fairly clear that Paul says that if we are in a relationship where we have authority or power, then we treat people with justice and fairness the way that Christ has treated us. And if we are in a position of, of um, where we're under someone else's authority, then we are to act in a way that serves them as if they were Christ himself. You can't get much more practical than that, can you? So when you fix your eyes on Jesus in heaven, that is the outcome of our life. And if we live that life in our context, in our society, just like the Christians in the first century did, that will have a great impact 
on the world around. A great impact on um, those, the people of our day and of our culture. So we live like this because behaviour like this is pleasing to the Lord. And behaviour like this shows us that we have not only received Christ Jesus as Lord, but that we are continuing to live in him. So let me pray. God, our Father, we thank you, Lord, that in Jesus Christ we have a servant leader. In Jesus Christ we have one who has given himself from a position of power. He has given himself for us in our weakness and in our sinfulness and that Jesus has restored us and given us new life. And we thank you also that in Jesus we have uh, a Lord and Saviour, one who is powerful and one who uses that power to bless us and to strengthen us in our lives of faith. So, Lord Jesus, help us to be like you. Help us to live in a way that pleases you. And, Lord Jesus, most of all, Help us to show the reality of your saving grace in our lives through the relationships that we have with one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.